Welcome to Flopography, where we revisit old pop albums that are known by many, not because of their critical or commercial success, but because of their lack thereof. These albums received the designation of flop. But did we give them a fair shake? Hey, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of Flopography. Uh, Mike Curez and Steve Mariani here. Uh, we're really excited to bring uh, Season 2 to y'all after a really fun Season 1 that started in quarantine. Um, we've, we've sort of reopened, but uh, we're, we're still you know podcasting and excited to bring you Season 2. And the opener today is uh, Michael Jackson's Invincible. Come on, girl. We're really excited to bring it to you. But before we get into it, Mike, it's it's been what like since our holiday episode about nine months. What oh what's new with you? How have you like have you gone crazy now that bars and restaurants are, are back open in Chicago? Uh I was crazy. And like obviously part of the reason why we're not we haven't been back in a while is the fact that we were vaxxed, ready to go and just do our thing and you know what? We had a glimmer of hope, but things are kind of getting a little crazy, but things are getting better now. But yes, honestly, Steve, today, this year has been a good year, I think, uh, compared to last year as far as being able to have some sort of life and enjoy yourselves. And so that said, I think it's a, a good time for us to bring this puppy back as we're cozying it up for the fall coming up, at least here in Chicago. I don't know about L.A. L.A., Steve, tell everyone about L.A., LA, uh, yeah, I mean, compared to Mike's hot boy summer, is that what you call uh, it? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I had one. Yeah, you didn't have one. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm I'm happily in a relationship this time around. Oh wow, so that's yeah. a big that's so that a is big a big change, change actually. Now yeah, there you go. So, like you said, uh, since our last uh, episode, uh, Jenny and I have moved to LA. Uh, we are renting a house. Uh, technically, we're in Culver City, uh, so we call it the suburbs. We just, you know, couldn't say no to the the great weather in Southern California and wanted to experience it down here. You have room, potentially get, you know, adopt a dog. So there's just a lot um, of great reasons to be in LA. So I'm, you know, still from a living room down in Southern well, California. I'm gonna have to show everybody a couple new things um, since we've been on a hiatus. And uh, one of the things, first of all, Steve, I got to break the news to you now on camera because you can actually see your reaction. But I just checked the stats and we have close to a thousand listens just from li pure listens, not from the YouTube views of the podcast to date. So I think it's pretty wow. damn good considering we haven't done like crazy, crazy, crazy promo. Um, we have listeners literally all across the world and it's pretty freaking amazing so wow, that, that's all organic michael that's all organic, uh, organic yeah. there's no paid in there My, we did do one boost but i will say no, we put like five dollars behind it literally literally five dollars <laughs> um but what i was gonna go through is we have a brand new background um and not that type of background here but over here with the white so we are Ooh. uh ditching the black background for this season. We're going to change it up and uh, have a little bit new of a, of a nice flair here. We're here to bring some light in your life with this, yeah. this white background. Mike, uh, before we get started, I'm just curious, like, is there anything in particular you've been listening to over the past nine months or, you know, even recently that's on repeat? What, what's on your Spotify? So I got to tell you, Steve, 
Chromatica still is literally on repeat nonstop in this household and in my friends on I's life. And then Dawn of Chromatica just re-sparked that. And I don't know if you listened to it yet. We have not talked about that. Um, I don't know if it was a flop, so I don't know if we'll ever talk about it. But um, Dawn of Chromatica on repeat nonstop in my head and on my phone. Yeah. No, I mean, Chromatica is a great album. I think it was released at a really difficult time because it was right at the start of the pandemic and it was like a, you know, a house and club record. Yes. Um, but I think that it, it's very like timeless in its production. Uh, and I think Donna Chromatica, uh, it, it was to me, I don't normally like remix albums to me, one of the more like, um, you know, I don't want to say listenable, but like it had a lot of, um, a lot of tracks that I felt outdid the original, which oh. is very rare, um, uh, rare for uh, remix albums. So I enjoyed that one too. Um, I've been <laughs> I've been listening to, uh, you know, Jenny loves this Teen Beat Spotify playlist. Okay, uh, <laughs> it's like all of the most popular songs from TikTok, uh, and so she introduced me to uh, a song called "Meet Me at Our Spot," uh, okay. and it's with Willow. Uh, which is Will Smith's daughter. She's no longer Willow Smith. She's just Willow now, right? Willow now, yeah. You, I remember the days when she sang Whip My Hair Back and Forth. But this is a really catchy song, and it's, like, very L.A. It's with the anxiety and Tyler Cole. And I just, like, started listening to it, and then I realized it was, like, a top ten song on Spotify, and I'm like, where have I been? Really? Um, yeah, yeah. So take I'm a so listen. Stuck. They talk about going down the 405, and so it's very L.A. I felt, you know, at home. When I was driving, both Chromatica and uh, and Willow are kind of a far cry from what we'll be reviewing today. So let's get into in the background and the context around uh, "Invincible" by Michael Jackson. I read one of the reviews, Mike, and it was I, I loved this this quote from one of the reviewers back um, when that when the album came out, which was in two thousand one. Uh, let's get the cliched bad joke out of the way to begin with. At the time Michael Jackson released Invincible in the fall of 2001, he hardly seemed invincible. So it was like really playing off the, the whole concept of the album. Um, so he hadn't really had a genuine hit in probably six years. You Are Not Alone hit number one in 95. And before that, Black and White hit number one in 91. So in the 90s, like I think in context, Michael Jackson kind of had quite a come down from the 80s when he was just hit after hit with Thriller, with Bad. And his reputation as this trailblazer in music was fading far from the days of his commercial success in those 80s. His finances were reported, reportedly just diminishing. And he died deeply in debt, $400 million in debt, which is crazy when you wow. think about all of the money you know, Michael made throughout throughout his career. And so the public scandals were starting to mount. Um, in 93, he was accused, uh, as well as in 2003, but in 93, this this uh, was before the release of Invincible, uh, he, was, he was accused of sexually abusing young boys during his sleepovers at the Neverland Ranch, um, which I'm sure uh, you caught some of the documentaries that really detail this. There's a lot of you know, controversy around that, obviously, leading up to the 2001 release of Invincible. And, you know, this is something you always say, Mike, but there was a big gap between his previous album, which was um, History, uh, which had had 
older songs too, but it did have original music. Um, that came out in uh, 95. Dangerous, his fully original album, came out in 91. And so uh, Invincible was really marked as his comeback album. You know, it's interesting because actually as an artist, I have never been into Michael Jackson's music. I just never have. On popular opinion, I get it. He's, you know, the king of pop and so forth. But like, I never genuinely had a song that I like Michael Jackson at all. Um, with this album, I actually have early memories of it. My stepdad had the album and he would always play Butterflies and I think some other song. And literally, I literally remember that, that I don't want to call it iconic, but you know, the album cover is kind of um, interesting and it does stand out, but yeah, not many high opinions of Michael Jackson and his music. And um, this album, helped solidify that but we'll get into that oh wow give it away early mike all right let's get into the numbers of michael jackson's invincible uh so like i said the album was released in 2001 right before halloween on october 30th uh and again it started production in 1997 meaning that there was four years of production of this album and it was $30 million to make the album, which was the most expensive album ever made at that time, which is insane. Um, and it's the 10th and final album from Michael Jackson before his death. And so the album, uh, first week sales sold uh, 366,000 um, compared to history, past, present, future, book one, his previous album that contained original music, uh, was 391,000. So it was a bit, about 30,000 less in sales first week, which actually isn't too bad. Um, so in terms of sales, it performed pretty well. The singles, uh, and, and really the song that I remembered the most from this album was You Rock My World, um, which I'm sure you, you did as well. Uh, that spent 20 weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 and peaked at number 10. Um, but when you're talking about like, uh, other Michael Jackson, you know, hits like Billie Jean, um, like like Bad, that were kind of more in the upper tier of the top 10. A little bit of a disappointment for a first single off the album. Um, Butterflies, you mentioned that earlier, number 14 uh, for 20 weeks. Those were the two kind of singles from the album. So also didn't yield like multiple, multiple hits. Um, the album Longevity, uh, it went number one uh, and spent 28 weeks on the Hot 100, or sorry, the, the Billboard 200. And today is two, two times platinum. Now I brought up some other albums like Dangerous, which spent 119 weeks on the, hot, on the Billboard 200 compared to 28 weeks. Uh, Bad spent 171 weeks on the Billboard 200 and Thriller. It's just crazy, 488 weeks. So considerable come down in like longevity of sales. And the critical reaction was the worst Michael Jackson's received. Um, he received a 51 on, um, on Metacritic, which is mixed or average reviews. The numbers that he pulled for this, even for, I mean, I actually think for those times, it was pretty bad. I mean, because like, I mean, God, Taylor can do a million in a week, I think, you know, and 
for Michael Jackson. That's pretty bad. But also, key thing there, it was released in October, a month after 9-11 in 2001. So I'm not sure if people were getting down to rock with you. So describe your initial reaction. If you can do it in one word, that would be great. But I'd love to hear your initial reaction of the album. The first thing that literally came to my mind while I was listening to it is like, wow, boy band. That's, no, that's not one word. It's two words. But like boy band. And when I say that, it literally reminded me of the Backstreet Boys and Boys to Men. And that like hip-hoppy, yet very pop vibe that they emulated in their music with Michael Jackson singing to it. The first half of the album, at least. But anyways, I defer to you. What is your first reaction? Yeah, I I, I got a little bit of like uh, Justin Timberlake's like future uh, love, sex. I forget the name of the album specifically. Future sex, love Yeah, my my initial reaction was that like the album had like no special sauce to me. It felt like very crafted. You could tell like it it took four years to make, so it was almost like too perfected in some ways. Um, and there wasn't much of like a spark. He he crafted this like hard driving. I think in, in a review I read, hard driving, hard polished urban soul album, heavy on dance numbers and sweetened by these like ballads. A recipe for success in that area. So 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 like that too like made me think it was definitely like it was all like um, very constructed. And there were too many like familiar themes uh, like the price of fame and the light. And one of his songs is called Privacy. So it just felt like you know the the perils of stardom and like. I felt that we'd, we'd been through that with him. See, it's funny that you say that because even though, full disclosure, I, I it took a while for me to get into the album, like songs like the one you mentioned, Privacy, and you know, he, I think he name checks Pavarotti, right? And um, looking back in retrospect, that was kind of ahead of its time. Uh, you know, like think of Britney Spears' Piece of Me, right? And then like, I feel like every pop star after that did these songs that were like, F you to the media. Matthew to everyone talking about paparazzi me. gaga, added, paparazzi, added gaga. but like at that time like that's kind of like taboo right is it was that really a thing back then i don't know much of it and maybe he was kind of out of its side in that part So Mike, what was your low moment from the album or the era or that time period for, for Michael Jackson? You know, something that kept going through my mind, um, as you know, Steve and, and listeners, like I love looking at who produced the album. Um, that's always fascinating information for me because I I like to say I'm pretty well versed in, you know, the pop of the producers and the hits they made. And one of the names that came to my mind was Babyface. I'm like, oh God, this is Babyface to the T. And Babyface, for those who don't know, is an iconic 
90s um, R&B producer. And lo and behold, he produced like, I think, what, one song on the entire album? But it had his fingerprint on it. What the low moment was is that when I saw Dark Child, Rodney Jerkins produce the entire album. Dark Child's an iconic producer. He's produced at Gaga, produced at Britney, he's produced at Jesse's Child. Um, you know, you name it, he's worked with them. J-Lo, If You Had My Love. And like, I'm like, wait a second. If You Had My Love, Say My Name by Jesse's Child was released literally like three years before, if not more, that album came out night and day in production sound right like the the my low moment of that album is that like take away all the stigma with him it sounds very dated you know even like the sound quality itself sounds like it's not up to up to par for what standards probably were at that time i know that he had like if even reading about the album he had like an a-list production team and like the best of the best helping him through this and this like this enormous system that was surrounding him that I think like almost diluted the the creativity in some way. I think for me, the low moment of the era was the song, The Lost Children. Uh, oh God. Don't it, like, it felt like especially tone deaf, given like the accusations of child abuse that were made against him. Because I'm a The children singing the chorus was kind of like the icing on the cake for me. Um, and like, remember, he lost a lot of fans after the 93 allegations. So like, like to kind of continue to perpetuate this narrative, um, it was to me, there were a couple songs at the end of the album, that one in particular, that felt just like very tone deaf. The thing is, I, honestly, I totally, because when I first heard that song, I was taking it at face value, and I'm like, oh my god, this did not age well, or in the words of you, did it age like fine wine? Um, and I totally forgot that those allegations were way before that, too. And you're right, 100%. God, why would you even embark on that? And it's, it's honestly, I will say that song made me feel yucky. Is there a particular song that you felt should be should have been a single? Break of Dawn was one that stand out, stood out. Just not to make sweet love till the break of dawn. I don't want the sun to shine. I will say, when you listen to an album, there's usually a song that can make you like pause. And I'm like, wow, like, okay, this one is kind of vibey. And they have a little bit of a, a spoken word slash rap vibe to it. Um, there's a lot of rap in this album, which is very shocking to me, actually. I enjoyed Heartbreaker. as well as uh, Whatever Happens, which like felt like it had this like new fresh vibe that like Michael hadn't necessarily 
portrayed in a lot of his musics. Like music, he, I felt that the singles he released, they they were like constructed based on like what had been hits for him before. Yeah. And so I wanted to like see like a bit of a, a new kind of music. And so to me, like whatever happens could have introduced like this new, it had like this kind of like salsa e vibe a bit like that I enjoyed. Um, and so I thought it could be a nice like, you know, reintroduction of him. Whatever What aged like a fine wine as you have a sip of wine? Uh, and what aged uh, poorly, in your opinion, uh, about the album, about the era, about, you know, wh whatever it is that it, that you think? I would say what aged well about it um, is almost, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I have mixed thoughts on it, to be honest. And I don't even know if I know the final answer on this, but it's kind of all over the place, right? when there are glimmers of hope in it, his ballads are really good. Um, and I thought that the latter half of the album was was much better than the, the first half. And it's funny that you say that, Mike, when I was like reading yeah. a lot of the fan reactions, uh, they, they talk about how that's like MJ's like most, it's best like vocal album of all of his albums. And so that's interesting that you say that you really enjoyed a lot of the ballads because they, they did, the, the fans were really happy that it showcased his vocals. And that's exactly what they did for him, right? While the first half was loud music that was kind of dated at that time that was being released. It was like the sounds that I got Backstreet Boys and, and Boys to Men. Um, I will say that album also reminded me of, and this is also a downside, of Madonna's Bedroom Stories. And we may have a chance to review that sometime. I don't know. But... Bedroom Stories was is also one of her kind of notorious flops, all produced by Babyface essentially, and like also very kind of R&B heavy. Um, what the low moment for this album is that like while he was trying new things at the end, but like a lot of it was repurposed and kind of like recycled from what I felt from other artists. And um, that's probably a low moment for me. Got it. So, so his, his recycling of almost the formula that made him successful previously is what was the low moment for you. And it's sad when artists do this of that scale, because to your point, they took four years perfecting this. Right. And, but also I am sure this, this, the moment I like was now I'm like, God, Michael, I'm sorry, but like he was trying to catch up with the times, right. He was trying to get into the groove of what that sound was. And uh, he did not find it. Well, if you start in 97, like the sound and the, the times have changed by the time you release it at the end of 2001. Exactly. So I think that's like, you know, you don't see that from artists today. Like you have the Ariana Grandes and the Justin Biebers of the world, like releasing like album, like Taylor as well, releasing albums like one year apart, not even within the same calendar year. It's, it's crazy. And like to think you spent four years on an album, that's a huge factor in this flop, right? Like, I think we're seeing it with Lord right now with Solar Power. How long does she take? I'm sure Jenny counted um, <laughs> every day that, that between melodrama and now. But, like, she took 8, 9, 10, 11, like, basically five years or so to make another album. And what happens is I think these artists get, like, death by paralysis 
and they think they could be like an Adele that can release an album every X amount of years. And obviously Michael Jackson way before Adele, but sometimes that's just someone's detriment. Their fans move on. Right. And like sounds become dated and that, that I think is what happened here. And he's first of many to encounter that. So for me, what aged the best is I still think You Rock My World is a bop. I like enjoy that song and I think it aged well. Uh, and I thought overall um, the the production Recent re-reviews claim the record showed early examples of like dubstep as well. Yeah, I did not get that. Did you get that? I didn't really get that, okay, but I good. read that. And so I was curious if you if you also felt oh. that. To me, what didn't age well is there, there are many things to me that it didn't age well about this album, but the length overall, like albums have like many tracks today, but the song length is like, much shorter for streaming like the album to me lost me it's it's like 77 minutes long um which is longer than some of the deluxe albums so i'm sorry mike for making you listen to this one for so long but uh, it has 16 tracks and i looked up his previous albums were nine or ten tracks in comparison what was your rationale for what went wrong um with this album i'm gonna bring it back to the death by kind of like is death by paralysis make sense does that make sense it does right like like yeah because you're saying that the album died due to the paralysis of yes, the artist of an artist right yeah and the artist gets so stuck in their head of perfection and like i don't know if you saw this but he literally was going up into like what like a couple weeks before the album came out of of putting it together and finalizing it we probably saw it at donda um and it's, I think when artists get into that, that habit of trying to get perfection, what ends up happening is quite the opposite. That compounded with the fact that 9-11 occurred shortly before that. Did you read about his, and do our listeners know about all the drama with the record label? That's going to be mine. So can we- well, Go can ahead. We that? That's a perfect segue. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't spoken about this yet, but Mike, you're, you're bringing it up right now is the conflict between Jackson and his label, which was Sony Music. Um, Sony actually ceased promotion for Invincible shortly after its release. Um, basically, Michael Jackson had told Sony that he's not going to renew his contract with them. And um, Jackson like then went after Sony Music for pausing the promotion of his album uh, and he went after the head of Sony Music, which was Tommy uh, Mottola at the time, publicly calling him a racist and a devil. Um, and uh, also, you know, we talk about promotion and how important it is, especially in the early 2000s. Uh, Michael also refused to tour at the time, so he had no tour to support Invincible as well. To me, that's really at the root of what, what went wrong. I think this was a serviceable album that probably would have performed better had it had more promotion. And that's why it only had the two 
the two singles. We cannot underscore enough the importance of promotion. I don't care how big you are. If you were an artist and either A, you're not willing to, tour, to, to promo it or B, you have a label that's not willing to promo your album, you're, you're kind of up shit's Creek, right? And like, you have to have a really strong promotion role strategy, especially after like what, almost 10 years of being off of the market um, with, with a lot of negative press along the way. And I actually did not know that, that that was the reason why there's a lot of low success with it, but it made sense. I'm like, Oh God, this is the age old tale that we have with these artists like Gaga with Art Pop, our number one listen to you uh, episode and so forth. Like if you don't have a vehicle behind you, it's not going to gonna drive for lack of better. <laughs> and now let's uh, go to Twitter. We've sourced some tweets of our fans perspective on uh, Invincible. So the first tweet from N MJ Reconsidered says, so glad to see hashtag justice for Invincible trending in the USA, woefully underrated and much maligned album, innovative and remains the, mo the world's most expensive album ever produced. A good thing Jackson released 16 songs given it was his last studio album, hashtag MJ fam. Total aside, but do you think MJ knew this was his last album? Let me, let me mess your mind really quick. Did you catch the last couple lyrics on the entire album? No, what that, were the last couple lyrics? That's what stood out to me. Uh, the last couple lyrics were, what you have just witnessed could be the end of a particularly terrifying nightmare. It isn't. It's the beginning. Boom. Wow. His, his fans knew too. Mike, that that may have been a forecast that this was his last album. I think so too. Like, I can't believe he didn't catch that. Like literally the moment I saw that, I'm like, what? I'm like, oh my God, did he just say that? Uh, the second tweet is from um, MJJ Repository. And it says, when Barnes and Noble began selling vinyl remasters of MJ's discography, Invincible, surprisingly, was the first one I purchased. This album is my favorite at showcasing MJ's incredible vocal range. It was a travesty that more singles and videos were not produced. Hashtag justice for Invincible. Hashtag king of pop. Justice for everything, right? Well, Mike, we, we talked about like MJ, he was a, he was like produced some of the most incredible like long form videos for his music and I believe there was only one video produced and that was for his lead single. Really? Okay. Yeah. That, I mean, I will say justice for his promotion period, but probably not the album. <laughs> <laughs> and finally from uh, Julie, this album means the world to me. She has invincible as a tattoo. Um, it's the first album that I've ever bought with my own money. I wish more people outside the fandom could understand what a masterpiece it is. Is no. the fan album usually the flop album is what I'm getting at? I guess so. I mean, and or are each fan base that we people review of flops, like are they just so delusional that they think any song, any album was, you know, unjustifiably a flop, right? Like who's in the wrong here? I don't know. All right, well, let's get to the 2021 review. Uh, and so, Mike, now, 20 years later, is Invincible a flop? 
yes. It is an attempt to modernize gone wrong. And Michael, like, I think he sacrificed a lot of his artistry to try to fit in the mold, while the album he really wanted to make was probably the tail end of that record. And I think that, you know, that with the really dark cloud that, again, we have to continue to mention is what's going on in the world with the perceptions on him. Um, I personally think it was deservedly a flop, but what are your, what is your thoughts, Steve? Yeah, and I, it took me a while because I really thought in the context of the fact that like Invincible gave Jackson number one albums in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Like that's pretty impressive. And additionally, like the numbers weren't weren't bad considering the lack of promotion. But I think when you like, when you diagnose what is a flop, is it just about the music? To me, it's not. It's a combination of things. Like the fact that like the poor promotion, the very media centric coverage of his dispute with his label and like calling, you know, the head of Sony a devil for MJ standards. And like, I think we have to think about it because when we talk about flops, it's normally for an artist that has had commercial success previously. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would consider this album to be a flop um, oh. in the context of MJ uh, and and the work that he's done previously, but I think you're hitting on, you're hitting on a lot of it of the fact that like he didn't for he didn't push the envelope creatively, um, and I think you know part of that's the fact that like he may have back in '97, but by the time this got released in 2001, it didn't feel fresh and and progressive or you know um, earth shattering like his previous releases, which I think like that sort of set him up for failure as well. What's interesting is that like if he had released this in '97 when he first started working on the album. Before J-Lo's If You Have My Love, um, I think probably a couple of songs from Destiny's Child and so forth, at least before that, with Roddy Jerkins. Could he have been the innovator? Could this album have been the innovator of music from that point forward? That That's totally mind after me right now, because I just totally thought about that. Like, if he was working on this instead, like, could this have been the blueprint for everyone else? Or was Roddy Jerkins really the master mind behind all this? I don't know. The world will never know, but it's a great question. So that brings us to the last track um, or, you know, um, the end. Mm -hmm. uh, so Mike and I, we've we've set, sent out a call to our social media following asking for uh, albums that they'd like us to, to review. We've gotten some feedback. So continue to reach out to us at Flopography Podcast on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, Mike and I are active and, and we'll be... Um, you know, promoting upcoming episodes. We have a lot of fun albums uh, to chat about. Yeah, and uh, encourage everyone again, if you are watching this, you can also listen to us while you're driving. I listen to every podcast while I'm driving, to be honest. Um, but you can go to anchor.fm slash flopography podcast as you are reading. Um, that is going to take you to every single source that you can find us. We're on iTunes, I mean, podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as Spotify and so forth. Uh, Google store and reminder, if you are watching us on YouTube, go ahead and like comment and subscribe. That is really good for us. And Steve, my goal is for us to reach a hundred followers by the end of the season. I think it's possible, but we got a lot ahead 
and uh, we got a lot ahead, and we got a lot of good music to cover. And we are one season down, so we are professionals at this now, right? Yes, minus all the tech issues we had today that yeah. y'all didn't see. My um, computer died three we have, times. We have changes along the way too, right? There's some exciting things ahead. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, we, I won't reveal everything right now, but um, we will definitely uh, rotate in potentially some new faces, and we'll get more into detail. Uh, with that and maybe, you know, switch things up a little bit as the show progresses, um, as the season progresses. Uh, so that's it from Flopography season uh, one episode, or sorry, season two, two. episode <laughs> one. Uh, Michael Jackson's Invincible. We have two flops. Let us know what you think of the album. Cheers and have a great uh, rest of your week. Speechless, speechless, that's how you make